Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Wednesday night for your Thursday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. Lots of news to get to, including why is Dan Hardy out of his fight versus Bobby Green? Bobby Green has seen who's out there and is a gangster like he is and will take a fight on short notice. We've been pressing, pressing the reset button the refresh button to see if anyone steps up but i haven't seen anyone as of yet anthony smith has an interesting take on uh, leon edwards and him wanting to become a champ champ go up so we'll cover that i may have said dan hardy i got my names uh, confused so it's dan hooker that's out of the fight versus bobby green but dan hardy is our guest so we'll be right back to start the show Hooker pulled out of his fight goes due to an injury. We know what the injury was. It looks like that same arm he broke when he fought Jalen Turner earlier this year. I think that was in uh, July. It It's broken again. And so what he did was he said he was sparring. He said he's blocked kicks with the arm. It's just that this time, boom, there's like a sweet spot, I guess. And when he blocked the kick, it broke. And he's disappointed. He says he should have known better, known better. And it's true. But he was talking about more rushing back to get early. And I remember when I saw Hooker versus Green, I thought, and I think I said it to you. I go, didn't he break his hand or his arm or something? Seemed kind of quick. It was in July when he fought Taylor. Or Sorry, Turner goes. I'm all over the place. UFC 290 in July. Time must fly, man. What are we in November? That's October, September, three, four months. Anyway, um, he says he's going to get a surgery and he wants to come back for UFC 300 in April, which would put him at five months. I guess that is more than four months. But man, he's got a positive attitude. I couldn't really argue with what he said because he admitted to it. He said, look, I just took a chance, you know. And I understand him doing that. And he made it through pretty far. But uh, what struck out or what stuck out to me a little bit more was him trying to make UFC 300. Now, granted, five months is a little bit more. But Jesus, I think you at that point want to give it a little bit more. And I don't know that the matchmakers would be too interested in in all that as well. So um, but I can't argue. I mean, he kind of just admitted he just maybe came back a little too soon, and 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 I get that. Um, what sucks is anytime that somebody pulls out of a fight, of course, you know you wanted to see that fight. It does suck, but these suck a little bit more, and I'll tell you why. Because they're happening around the holidays, and fighters that agree to fight around these times really put up with a lot. You know, there's a lot of planning that goes into the end of the year. Uh, things that you miss because of it 
so not being able to collect that paycheck for Dan Hooker and for Bobby Green, unless Bobby Green gets a, a replacement, that's got to sting, man. It really does. You know, I don't know how many times we've done it in our personal lives. Like the holidays are coming up. This check's coming up. I'm going to use that to buy Christmas presents or go on a family vacation, whatever that is, you know, that disappears for two guys. So hopefully Bobby Green finds an opponent and, uh, it sucks for Dan Hooker. I think he sort of learned his lesson. I don't know. It seems like he wants to come back, even though it is one more month. I, I still feel like you would want that to heal even more. But uh, hopefully one day we do get to see those two fight, because I think the fight itself would have been fun. Yeah. I was looking forward to it. I thought it was an excellent co-main event of Benil Dariush versus uh, Armand Sarukian. You know, same weight class, everything. And stuff goes down. I get it. I almost was going to say maybe the mistake was blocking or kickboxing so late. I'm not saying don't do that, but getting close to fight time, maybe that's not something you want to do and save it for the fight. Because if he hit a sweet spot, a sweet spot is a sweet spot. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a doctor that told him this is the, uh, the amount of time for it to fully heal. Who knows? But yeah, I'm thinking April might be too soon as well. Possibly. I don't know. But he did say he got kicked in it a thousand times. Just it hit that spot where the bone was just more sensitive. And that's mm-hmm. that. And pivoting to Green's thoughts. Hey, I've filled in on late notice. Ten, He says, I fought on 10 days notice. I went on two weeks notice. I done made weight, passed the fuck out. My lungs collapsed and everything on two weeks notice. I done did it all, he said. Let me see who's gangster like me. I guarantee nobody step up. Let's find out. So a few people raise their hand goes Jared Gordon, who, if you'll recall, they clashed heads uh, recently. And, you know, we had a no contest, right? He just won at UFC 295, which was the fight card in uh, November. Let me see, that was November 11th, so it was about two weeks ago. And this fight card doesn't happen until December 2nd, so it'd be about three weeks in between. But he put on X, formerly Twitter, run it back. Terrence McKinney, who lives in Texas, remember this thing's going down in Austin, he threw his name inside of the hat, says it would be an honor to throw down with Green. And then there was another name out there, Rafael Dos Anjos, who, if you recall, goes, lived in California, then moved back to Brazil, and now lives in Austin. But he says he'd be up for it, however, at 165 or 170. I think RDA, former champ, long-time UFC vet, has earned those stripes where he can say, look, that's a tough weight cut, man, for an old guy like me. But I'm willing to do this, and I think the UFC should consider it if Green's down. You know, of of those three matchups, I kind of like Gordon, only because... It's a matchup that he's prepared for in the past. You know, RDA is a completely different animal than Dan Hooker. And so, you know me, man, I'm always championing for, I want the most honest fight. And I feel like if you put him in against RDA and RDA wrestles him, then you go, well, was that really what would have happened if both guys had 10 weeks to prepare for each other, eight weeks to prepare for each other? You know, that this is all just happening on a fly. At least with Jared Gordon, you have one guy that's probably somewhat in shape. 
and they've fought before so it's not like you can't say uh well he wasn't expecting this or expecting that it's almost as close to even as you could get so to me i feel like that's the one that makes the most sense i think uh there's a little bit of unfinished business too so i would run that one back i like it in that order gordon and then rda and then mckinney but i'm not it's not like rda has this huge lead on mckinney mckinney's Mm -hmm. game you know but i think rda is more on the vet side like with bobby green so i think green would probably want that excuse me i felt like i uh i had to sneeze again regardless someone will step up when you have three interested folk like that tossing the ones we haven't heard of i just see in bobby green's future a a a fight you know with with some magnitude on it um green's been hot as of late like i think he's finally getting his his respect in the business and he's marketable he's he's a unique individual for sure but I think he's marketable, and so's Hooker. That's why either guy beating the other would have been massive for the other guy, mm-hmm. and we miss out on it. But it doesn't mean that we can't get it down the road because to me, it seems like these guys are fairly active as of late. So maybe that's what we do for UFC 300. I don't know. Speaking of UFC 300, Jim Miller fought at UFC 100, 200, and has always stated he wants to fight at 300. Jim Miller's 40 years old, and he's fought 42 times in the UFC. By far the most fights in the UFC. Not by far, but clearly ahead. And he started at UFC 89 in 2008. We're in 2023. By the time UFC 300 rolls around, it'll be 2024. He actually just won his last fight, if you recall, that Charlie Antaveros guy finished him. And he's 4-1 and one in his last five, so he's not really slowing down. Anyway, sorry, the last guy was uh, Jesse Butler. I'm sorry, in, in June. Charlie Ontiveros lost to Gabriel Benitez. But that's who Miller's fighting. And that fight goes down on January 13th, which is in Las Vegas. It's a fight night. But I was thinking, bro, in April is UFC 300. Are you possibly rolling the dice and spoiling the chances on by, being on all three? Not because of the turnaround, because Jim Miller gets down at any time. Just because of a silly injury that can keep you out. Yeah, that to me, I think that would be one of the coolest things. It's like it's such a no-brainer, right? Like you had him on 100, you have him at 200, gotta have him on 300. And there's even the possibility that at 300, that's where he says enough is enough. I'm laying down the gloves, right? It's been a great career. You do run that risk, but hasn't that just been the guy Jim Miller's been his entire career? I think. Uh, Normally, I would say, don't do it, Jim. Don't risk it. Just get your spot on 300 and let's go. But this this has just got Jim Miller written all over. These are the types of things he does. He's anytime, any place. So uh, I guess it's one where you maybe give him a little bit of a Frank Mir face, but then you go, ah, just go do your thing, guy. It's give kind of the way he pail. rolls, right? Yeah, give him his lunch pail and uh, his thermos, and out the door he goes. Yeah. We'll see. You know, I I really would like for him to fight at 300. That's historic. The only other person that can match that is Brock Lesnar, who also fought at UFC 100 and 200. And I guess being a heavyweight, I mean, Dana would probably 
let him fight at 300 if he wanted to. I don't know that it would be a, a big fight or a title contender or nothing like that. I think it'd just be, hey, here's Brock Lesnar, maybe against mm-hmm. another legend. But uh, Brock's obviously up there in age as well. He does his WWE thing, and then you got the whole USADA thing. So I'm not even going to get into it. Well, it'll be someone else. USADA you know what ends you in do, Huh? You know what you do? What? For the UFC? Brock and Fedor. Ooh. You finally get Fedor's ass in the UFC. Nobody really cares about fighting for a belt or anything because we all know it's just a fight that at one point was talked about. Throw those two bastards in there. Because honestly, if you look at it on paper, George, who the hell is fighting at UFC 300? Right? Like, isn't everybody either booked up, hurt, can't make it? Uh, they got to do something. So if you really did want to make make it happen for Brock, I think that's the other name you attach to it. Fedor's 47, Brock's 46. We've seen Stranger Things for sure. I don't think the fans would hate it. I think the newer fans would say who and why. But, you know, usually those newer fans also geek out on Brock Lesnar when he's a when he's getting down in pro wrestling. Old school uh, fans like us and media would dig it. I mean, we'd probably make fun a little bit of it. Like, where, where, where was this 15 years ago? But, you know, once we get past all that, I think we would all be intrigued by the matchup. Again, there's going to be that whole deal with whoever replaces USADA. I don't have their name handy. I'll look it up in just a second. But um, the other thing is when Fedor retired, he retired with Bellator. Did he file retirement papers? And is he a complete free agent? Or is the contract still held on in case someone decides to come back and now, now it's held by PFL and would PFL allow it? And Mm-hmm. That's a rabbit hole. I don't feel like going down it, but I don't. I didn't think it was uninteresting for sure. I mean, I immediately looked up both guys' ages. I mean, if if there were quality people available, I'd say yeah, go with that. But if we're kind of hurting and we're kind of like, what are we gonna do here? And you really want it to stand out, I think something like that would be fun. Yeah. Um. Well. Consider me in if they do it. I'm not hating on it. By the way, the name of that new place is called Drug Free Sport International. They'll be in charge of the collection process for the UFC starting on uh, January 1st. USADA runs through the December 31st, and I imagine everything just folds over into the new the new people. So, for example, McGregor started up about a month ago. His six months are probably around that April time, UFC 300, although we've heard delays now for him to July of 2024. But, yeah, we got to see how seamless it's going to be, the transition from USADA to Drug Free Sport International. All right, here's a few more other items to go through. Uh, PFL Championship is on Friday, right? And you got the six title fights where the winners become the champions for the, the season and the playoffs. And they also become millionaires. Clay Collard versus Olivier Aubin Mercier. That's your main event. These are lightweights. And it's an ESPN Plus pay-per-view, $49.99. Larissa Pacheco, she's fighting Marina Mocantina. Magomed Magomed Karimov versus Sadabu C. Josh Silvera versus Impa Kasanganai. Kayla Harrison versus Aspen Ladd. Derek Brunson versus Ray Cooper the third. Jesus Pinedo versus Gabriel Braga. 
So there's a title fight on the undercard. Also, these two guys don't like each other. Chris Wade versus Bubba Jenkins. They'll mix it up. Friday, Black Friday. So in two days, day after Thanksgiving. We forget, by the way. Happy Thanksgiving to all that celebrate it. Tonight's a great night to get together with friends and go out. Usually people come home and get blazed. And uh, then tomorrow, eat turkey. Back in the day, it was play football and then eat turkey. But <laughs> those days are long gone. <laughs> Not without injuries. Exactly. But yeah, we will probably say it at the end. I just didn't. I wanted to make sure that it was on the tip of my tongue. Might as well throw that one out there. Here's something that's interesting. Sean O'Malley says Snoop Dogg's commentary during his W DWCS win played a massive, massive role in UFC stardom. Um, you know, that's when him and Uriah Faber were doing that alternative broadcast. And so O'Malley goes out there and knocks out some dude. And Snoop Dogg had that reaction. O'Malley, O'Malley says he said it like 30 times. Then after the fights, he went in the in his trailer and smoked out with him. Says he doesn't remember anything from that night, but he says he was on the tip of everyone's tongue, tongue that night because of Snoop Dogg. I remember that night. And um, it's really interesting. If Sean O'Malley just kind of eked out a decision or something... I don't know that his career goes in that direction. I think it it was him jumping up on the cage, him just uh, getting the stop. It's just so funny how one little thing could, can change the trajectory of your career. He's right, Snoop Dogg. Uh, the way everybody reacted in the gym, it, it all set him on his path. On this path, but you know, I'm happy that he's giving uh, Snoop a little props for that. But really, a lot of props just need to go. I know a lot of people are going to say the UFC kind of coddled Sean. And maybe they did at certain points. But you can't argue that that dude has not improved a lot in his game. And taken chances and uh, certain fights that we all just gave him no chance. That he's come out and really changed our minds. Like that that dude. uh, And he's kind of cracking me up, to be honest, George, a little bit in um outside of the cage he's making me laugh with some of the ways he just looks at certain situations i think there's other fighters that would have maybe lost their cool a couple times like remember when Sahudo came at him during an interview uh he just kind of kind of laughed it off like i don't know he's starting to grow on me a little bit yeah there's times where i do listen to him on his show or just any media that he might be doing and i'm like okay that's interesting refreshing honest and so he is kind of himself a lot. Now, there are some bizarre things, you know, in his personal life. And I don't think I would dress the way he did, but he's got mm-hmm. a niche for sure. And people are into it. I just remember him coming out and he had an alpha screech look to him, right? I think if I said that in front of him, he'd probably giggle. Come on. Tall white dude, curly hair, real pasty white skin right i mean he, he didn't have like maybe that goofy face i suppose maybe you know he's better looking than old screech dustin diamond may he rest in peace but he just kind of had this look of like oh this guy's about to get murdered right by his opponent and next mm-hmm. thing you know like white boy like white, white man can't jump hey white boy can play you know this guy's all mm-hmm. right look at him he's got some skills and i think that's kind of how 
Snoop probably felt because most of us in the gym felt the same way. Like this guy's, this guy don't look like he's gonna be anything, and he's a world champion. Remember his opponent too? Wasn't that wasn't that that big group of Armenians? Wasn't that the fight where they went nuts? Was it? You might be right. I think it was. I know one time. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm trying that, to. That was the closest that the back then. It wasn't the Apex. It was the Tough Gym. That's probably the right. closest I think they ever came to like a fight in the stands during Dana White's Contender Series. He did fight. I see an Armenian named Alfred Kazakian. KO'd him round one. Um, I do remember it was pretty intense. And I think what we said was, hey, you better get some security to divide these camps a little bit. Yeah, there was something to that. I'm trying to also not mix it up with uh, Edmund Shabazian when his brother fought. And remember that girl kept getting pushed out of one of the tunnels and then she'd pop out from another tunnel and yeah. Shabazian was going nuts and security was like, fucking that. sit down already. You know what I mean? And yeah. they just couldn't, they, they couldn't straighten out. But that was at the apex. First couple seasons was that. <laughs> she kept popping out in different areas. Yeah. It's like, so picture folks, you're at an arena, right? And you're so bad, they kind of kick you out. You can usually go down a tunnel and you pop out and there's restrooms and um, snack bars and apparel you can buy, right? Like they call it the concourse. Except she popped out and then popped in on another tunnel. But in the apex, you can't trick anyone. I mean, there's only 100 of us there. So whatever you're wearing, you're pretty easy to remember. Hey, aren't you the one that I kicked out? You know, it's not like there's you getting lost in the shuffle of 20,000. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, the Armenians are intense. At least that batch was. So, anyway, um, I don't know. I just thought it was a nice little memory lane. And when he brought it up, I was like, yeah, I could believe that. Because everybody was into that alternative broadcast that Snoop did with Uriah Faber. I mean, that was a good pairing. Two Cali guys, both pretty cool in their own sense. And they may have done it one or two seasons. But I remember Dana White's hand. Hey, Snoop's not free, that's for sure. He charges. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Uh, Anthony Smith said Leon Edwards wouldn't consider middleweight, consider middleweight if Hamza Shemaev was champ. So this is one of those where you have to read the article, right? He was pretty respectful, and the first thing he wanted to say was, "Look, first clean out your division, Leon. All you fought is Kamaru in the last two times. One of them was to win the title. The other one was to defend the title. You have one title defense, and focus on Colby." But then after Colby, this is a division that's got contenders. You got Ian Gary that's up and coming, right? Gilbert Burns, who doesn't fall off. Jalal Muhammad, who arguably should be fighting for the title. And they have history. So you got your hands full. Uh, Shavkat, he's also on you know, on fire. 17-0 with 17 finishes. Don't get any better than that. So he's saying focus on that. But what he's saying is he thinks Edwards is seeing in Sean Strickland a matchup that's beneficial to him. I don't have to worry about wrestling or jiu-jitsu. It's just striking. And because Strickland, who used to fight at welterweight, by the way, isn't the biggest and most talling and imposing middleweight. You know, you saw how he looked versus Pajeda, not the knockout. I'm not focusing on that. I'm just saying this is the size difference. I think Leon's thinking, you know, I, I, think, I'd, I think I'd fare well against this guy. But Anthony Smith says, hmm. Clean out your division, and I, I'd i say that 
because the guy like Shemaev isn't waiting for you, that's probably why you're piping up. He didn't seem to come off disrespectful. What do you think of Anthony Smith's take? I just, I agree with, with half of it. I don't think any of it has to do with Hamzat Shemaev. Like, right now, um, if you have your shit together in the UFC, I wouldn't say you should be salivating at fighting Shemaev, but if you're going to fight him, fight him now before he figures out his problems and his deficiencies. Because if he can put it all together, then he's got to be one of the most frightening people in all of the UFC. But right now, I mean, if you and I are trying to figure out how to beat him, the first thing we're looking at is let's take him out in the later rounds. Like, you know, let's let this fight stretch out a little bit because he's definitely slowing down. Yeah. And honestly, uh, one thing I would say to Smith, but in discussion, not as a pushback, we'll say, you know, the guy that was mentioned was Kamaru Usman, who arguably can wrestle just as good as Shemaev. I mean, you, we just saw those two throw down. They're like mm-hmm. tweeners. They're undersized middleweights, but big welterweights. And if Leon can hang with Kamaru, although to be fair, that first fight was pretty much a, a landslide win for Usman up until when he got punted. But then in the second one, you know, it was a whole different story, but I'd say Leon's probably just not scared of Shemaev or Strickland. But maybe he is looking at it that way. I remember a lot of people thought GSP was picking on Bisping a little bit because he thought he thought Bisping was, you know, a more beatable middleweight champion than all those years when he could have collided with Anderson Silva. Remember that? Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of Leon Edwards, Colby Covington saying, I had to earn it the hard way, unlike Leon Edwards. I like it when he calls him Leon Scott. Why you pick that name? I don't know. And if it's something that has to do with anything that's disrespectful, I apologize. I never knew the joke. I just think it's hilarious that he just picked that name out of nowhere. But anyway, um, he says Leon fought Nate Diaz. He called him a washed-out lightweight. And that got on the fight with Usman. That's true. He also had an impressive welterweight resume. And then the mm-hmm. pandemic, it prevented him from traveling. And he, the no contest versus Bilal Muhammad. He just didn't really get traction going into it. Colby's saying, hey, look at me. I had to go through RDA, Robbie Lawler before I got my shot, you know? Yeah. His... Uh, did he have, do you think he has a point, or you think Colby's just stirring the pot before the fight? Stirring the pot a little bit, but you can't argue that Colby Covington probably hasn't taken any shortcuts at all, I think, in his career. And I don't, I don't know that he's ever backed away from anyone. So, yes and no. Yeah. Well, you know, Colby's now on his third title shot. Two at two versus Usman and one versus Edwards. So he's no one can say he's been treated unfairly, right? Right. Anyway. All right, look, right now is probably about a good time to catch up with our guest, Dan Hardy, out in the UK. Um he's got these fights to call PFL 10 2023. It's their finals, right? Their 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 culmination of the 2023 season, six title fights, and then those pivotal fights with Brunson, who's now signed with the PFL, coming from UFC. He got he has to fight Ray Cooper the third, a former champ over at P, uh, PFL, and then you got uh, Kayla Harrison. She's fighting Aspen Ladd. This has nothing to do with the finals. These are just pivotal matchups on a pay per view that'll cost you forty nine ninety nine. Let's discuss some of these fights with Dan Hardy, the outlaw.
What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George Angos are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts, former MMA fighter Dan Hardy, and now color commentator for the PFL, joins us here on the program. We're going to talk about PFL 10 2023, the World Championships. It's a pay-per-view, and ESPN Plus has got you covered. Six title fights and a lot of key fights, some free agent signing fights, some high-profile fights. It's going to be a banger of a card. Did I use that right, Dan? It's a banger, right? Banger. A banger. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us here on MMA Junkie Radio. Always a pleasure to have you on. No worries. It's been a while. It's always good talking to you guys. I, f- I feel like we're talking to, like, are you- you're getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something like that. Man, I, I don't think I've seen a cooler setup than what you got going on there. You got the shades going on, the backdrop. Love it. Thanks, man. Yeah, this is this is the home studio. This is where I filmed the war room and the podcast and stuff. And it's uh yeah, so I, I wallpapered the room with Judge Dread comics and then I covered it with action figures and it goes it, it go it goes a decent way up. I've got a good collection in here. It's uh it, it it's quite the size. Unfortunately, you only see a, a small fraction of it on the on the YouTube channel though. We we haven't talked to you in a while. I remember back in the day you used to do it on the couch absolutely and i've still got that in the other room as well i need to i need to bring it back in at some point it's currently uh it's currently covered with uh, with boxing gloves and and pads <laughs> it needs tidy in at the moment let's give a quick plug to your skills what would you say is different about your ability to preview a fight versus all of the other options that are out there nowadays with youtube um podcasting you know there's a, there's a lot of people that break down fights but Obviously, you've done it for a long time. You're highly respected. But for maybe an audience that is hearing about this for the first time, what do you appreciate about your angle to the fight game? Um, I, I don't know, really. I mean, you know, th- there are a lot of people out there that do really, really good work. And I honestly, I try not to watch them because I just don't want to be, you know, repeating the same things that they say. I, I want to make sure that you know, whatever I'm seeing is coming from coming from me and from what what I'm what I'm recognizing. I, I don't know to be honest. I'm not sure. I think everybody's got different voices, and I think I think different audiences like different people, different versions. I mean, you know, Robin Black is is high intensity. You know, he he hits you with a whole bunch of information straight away. Luke Thomas is very paced, and he kind of you know he steps things through very well. And I, I don't know. I think people have got different choices and and uh, and different tastes. Um, what I, I like to break it down from from the perspective of, of of me as the fighter, and I think that's kind of how I've how I always did it. You know, my intention was never to be a, an analyst or commentator. My you know my drive was always to be the best fighter I could be. So, you know, when that kind of you know came to a standstill and I crossed over into into something else, I just I applied the same skills that I used at the start of training camps to to break down fights that were happening. The difference was if I was removing myself from the equation, which, you know, it made me realize it gave me a, a much clearer view of the fights and a, a much uh, a much less biased perspective. Like, oh, no, it's all right. I'll, I'll just knock this guy out again. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it, it all kind of I stumbled upon it, you could say. It, it wasn't really intentional. Um, and, and I don't really know exactly what it is about my breakdowns that, that people like. I just kind of hope that I, I put it in a way, in terms that people can understand, even if they've not ever stepped the f- step foot onto a mat or into a cage, um, you know, to make it as accessible for people as possible. Because that's really where the fan base grows, right? When people understand what they're watching and they have that 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 new level of appreciation for what the people are doing in there. 
Um, so that's really my goal is to kind of make it more accessible. Let's start with the main event. You have the traditional striker versus grappler. Clay Collard would love all 25 minutes on the feet, slinging them dogs. And OAM probably wants to lock, lock up against the cage, maybe get the fight to the ground. So when you do start your breakdowns, it, do you almost start with, well, that's almost the obvious. What are their secondary talents? Uh, or do you go by weaknesses? How do you dive into like a fight like this one? Well, I, I like to watch their fights through in order. I, I like to see how they've evolved as fighters and try and take into into account other things that have been, um, you know, beneficial in their journey. Certain places where they've trained, certain people they've trained with, um, other experience like Clay Collard, of course, had experience in, in professional boxing as well when he wasn't able to get matched in in mixed martial arts, and and that was a good confidence booster. That that really varied his striking skill set, I would say, and gave him more composure in the pocket. Um, so you can draw on a lot of different things. And, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying to a point, but OAM's a very smart and very strategic fighter. So I, I don't think he's going to waste too much energy in, in the opening rounds until he's got a good read on what Collard's going to do. Like, I think he's going to try and take away the lead leg of Collard because, you know, he's a front foot fighter and he likes to push forward. Um, the thing I like about Collard is, is the way that he attacks the body. You know, you saw it against Shane Burgos. He smashes hooks into the rib cage and makes people drop their arms. And it's that overwhelming kind of, you know, I mean, that it, it, it's such a high pressure style that it, it's like a, it, it's kind of like, like the way Sean Strickland is able, is able to overcome strikers that are more technical. You know, it's the, it's, it's the, the blunt force attack, you know, putting yourself in the pocket and, and hitting many targets. And and I think that's what Clay Collard does really well, which is why I feel like OAM is probably going to try and, you know, counter strike on the back foot and take away that lead leg a little bit. We've talked to both guys and Collard share a story with us where backstage somewhere, maybe before a, a weigh-in or something like that, uh, they were joking and talking and he was really amped up, couldn't wait for that moment. He's just all into fight week. And OAM told him, Man, we're the opposite. I I absolutely hate this. Uh, he clarified that he does love the purity of the fight itself, but interviews, fight week, playing up to the crowd—it's just not him. Which is is either one? Have you ever noticed over the years of accumulation of studying tape? Is either one of the two the better approach? Getting amped up or staying calm? Honestly, I think it depends on the fighter. You know, I, I've I've been around fighters, I've cornered fighters that, you know, like Paul Daly in the early days, he used to love to get hyped up. You know, him and Andre Winner, they would hype each other up. They would be bouncing as they came out the dressing room down the corridor. And and I tried that in my early couple of fights and it just didn't work for me. You know, I, I had Pantera cranked up. I knew it would get me fired up and <laughs> it just didn't work out for me. I, I wasn't able to pace myself very well. I wasn't able to to control my emotions and, and direct them in the same way that they could. Um, for me, I was far more, you know, in my own head, kind of thinking about the fight, you know, keep, keeping quite a mellow, uh, you know, mood up until the point when the curtains open and, the moment when I'm walking out to the cage is, is when I'm kind of, I don't know, I step into a different character at that point. And then, then all of that energy and attention is, is additional fuel for my performance, but I have to manage it very carefully. It, it didn't always work out. Like, of course, you know, UFC 120 when Carlos Condit knocked me out cold, like that was, that was me being 
too excitable, too energetic, and too kind of let's bang and see who falls over first, which was, you know, of course, foolish and <laughs> didn't work out very well for me. Mm -hmm. um, I can't wait for that fight, honestly. And I, it'll be interesting to see if Collard can keep the fight to the ground. Oh, sorry, on the feet. Um, or at least mitigate the damage that OEM can do, whether it's against the cage or on top. Very similar almost to what we saw with Lewis and Almeida uh, in Brazil this past weekend. I, I found it pretty compelling and interesting, but I could understand a lot of fans. They want blood. They want, you know, more. Um, but let's talk about um, Fajeda versus Goldsoff, the heavyweight matchup. This one, this could be a $3 million fight, Dan, if you think about it, because the winner gets a million. And I don't see – there must be two options for the PFL going forward for Nganu in 2024. I would imagine the champion is going to have a say possibly in being that opponent. Would you not agree? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they would be a, a clear option for us. And I think both of them are, are interesting problems for Nganu, especially with Goltsov and his experience. You know, he's got great footwork. He's got great boxing skills. I mean, probably the best jab in mixed martial arts, certainly in the heavyweight divisions. Um, I, I think he's very problematic, especially given the fact that he's got the ground game to match if he chooses to use it. And then for Hader, I mean, you know, his nickname kind of says it all. He, he's problematic on, on a multitude of levels. You know, now he's working at ATT. You know his ground game, his, his grappling skills are, are on the rise. That's going to give him confidence in his striking. And the, just the size and the reach of, of the individual, his ability to cover distance and cover distance with accurate strikes as well, whether it's kicks or punches. They're both very, very dangerous individuals. And honestly, like we could run this heavyweight fight back a few times and we could get very different results each time. Um, I, I think both of them are, are good contenders for Ngannou in the future. Um, but certainly the one that wins is, is most likely going to be the, uh, the front runner. And would you not say that the winner is a problem for Nganu? I mean, a lot of people think that Nganu just smashes. Don Davis said something controversial. Uh, I wish I could follow up with him at some point, but he, he just felt like there might not be an interesting fight for him. And I don't know if he meant to subtly diminish maybe his heavyweight stable or if he's so focused on Wilder, he's already maybe, you know, uh, making a move towards possibly putting that fight together who knows but look pfl has a good record of sending a lot of free agents packing that have come over from either ufc or bellator or or whatever what, what would you say to those that that might think that maybe the pfl doesn't have a heavyweight that can hang with Nganu? i mean i think both of those guys are, are good options they're, they're both got the skills and the credentials and the the the, the experience to be able to step in there with Nganu. I, this, you just can't say that at heavyweight. I mean, wh what have we learned about the featherweights this year? You know, you've got Braga and Pinedo have come in and absolutely blown everybody else out of the water. And that's including, you know, three former, you know, champions and 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 contenders for the title. Like, you just can't count people out. And I think that's the beauty of the PFL format is that it opens the door to people that have maybe not, you know, like, did Pinedo earn a shot immediately at Brendan Lochnane? In a different promotion, that wouldn't have happened. But it did happen because of the PFL format. And he proved to us that, you know, you can score the upset and win big. And it's and it's it's not like it was an accident. I mean, both him and Braga have done it consistently now and they've they find themselves in in the in the championship. And I think that's even more applicable at heavyweight, you know. 
Like you, you, you see what Ngannou just did to uh, to Tyson Fury. You, you can't tell me that uh, that you know a heavyweight like Goltsov or Fajeda couldn't come in against Ngannou in a mixed martial arts fight and cause the same kind of upset. Like I, I definitely think they could, and I think they're both intriguing matchups. Um, the heavyweight division, especially, can just turn on a, on a, on a single punch, and I think both of those guys have got the potential to land that single punch. You know, Dan, it's it's funny George brings up free agents because that's kind of where I wanted to go uh, with Derek Brunson here with the PFL now, and he's got Ray Cooper the third in front of him, an established PFL veteran. Um, is this kind of the best case scenario for a guy like Derek Brunson? Because we often talk about guys that come into the PFL and they're caught by surprise by the season format. How about him just getting in there and maybe getting out uh, the fact that he's been with a company for so long just different cage, different environment, different staff, getting that all out of the way before he embarks on this new journey of a season. You know, I, I think sometimes it's just a, just a fresh place, you know, re- ready to sh- kind of shake people up. It, it, it gives them a, you know, a, a new sense of motivation. And, you know, Derek Brunson is a, is a, an awkward and talented individual. And I think he's problematic for anybody, no matter what weight class he's in. Like we know what Ray Cooper can do. You know, he puts people away with with either hand, um, and I think this is just a a really fun fight. This for me is kind of like like the the treat on the card. Like we've got a lot of interesting fights on the card, and of course a lot of money and and titles on the card. But uh, as far as the the fights that I'm most interested in, like what is going to happen in this fight, that's what you've got here. And and I think you know for Derek Brunson with with the skills that he brings to the table. It could make for quite a chaotic fight. I mean, I've you know, I was commentating when he fought um, when he fought Rob Whitaker, and that was that was <laughs> absolutely wild while it lasted. I could see this fight being very similar. You know, Dan, all, all these fighters when they come to the PFL, they give us different answers when we ask them. You know, what have you done? What who have you asked for advice as far as the season goes and all that? Because it, it's a different beast, and we hear it over and over from fighters the following year who usually say, well, I took it lightly the first year, but now I'm going to, and we talked to Derek and we kind of said, what are you going to do to avoid that situation where you come back and say, I should have maybe paid a little bit more attention. What would you do? Like if, if you were in one of these guys's corner, how would you prepare them for what they're about to experience in the PFL? Cause it is very, very different. Absolutely. It is. I mean, of course you've got to do a lot of your foundational work before the season starts. Um, because once you hit the ground, you, you've got to be running and you've got to be ready to keep running. So a lot of the work has to be done beforehand. I think when when the season starts, you've got to manage yourself very well. You've got to be honest if you're, you know, if you're bruised, if you're injured, coming out of one fight, you need to make sure that, that healing is your priority. And then you, you kind of have to do the training that you can before the, the next fight comes up. I mean, it's a part of the challenge of the format. You know, someone like Derek Brunson, who, who competed for for a long time in wrestling, will will understand this process, you know, much better than most anyway. Um, but but it, it's a case of just kind of being honest with yourself and not pushing too much. A lot of fighters, what what from what I can tell is they they give too much in the first two fights of the season. They really push themselves through training camp, maybe spar too much, too much hard sparring. And then by the time the playoffs arrive, they they're so bruised up that they they just don't feel like they're they're moving quite as well. But you know everybody's in the same boat. That's a part of the the challenge of this format. And I think that you know the fighters that are going at it a second time around, they they usually have a you know a, a bit more of an advantage because they understand the pacing a little bit better. Dan, is there anybody out there in mixed martial arts that you can point to that kind of 
reminds yourself a little bit of yourself of, of how you were competing, whether it be the way they fight or the way they carry themselves. Like, I guess my question is who's the new you? <laughs> Uh, ho- hopefully there isn't one i mean I, like i think i think one of me was more than enough you know <laughs> perhaps too many in fact um i, I don't know to be honest i mean I, i'm not really sure you, you guys can probably tell me better what you know w- what i represented in in mma i mean hopefully it was it was um you know it was an adrenaline rush for the fans you know i think what one thing i will say is i i think i'm and and i think bruce buffer will back me up on this i'm pretty sure i'm one of the first that was interacting with bruce buffer in the face offs um it, it, bruce often mentioned that to me when, when uh you know when i would see him um so you know excitement and adrenaline i hope i brought that to the table and i hope people knew that you know no matter whether the fight was going my way or not uh i was thoroughly enjoying myself for their benefit um i, I don't know i mean i think there are a lot of fighters that represent that now you know uh i mean you know just on the pfl roster i think brendan Lochnane is a good example right picks himself up, dusts himself off. Ah, you know, we live and learn. We get back to the gym and we keep going. And he's met loads of adversity over the years. You know, he didn't have the easiest run to the, uh, you know, to a to a world championship uh, with with doubt and with setbacks and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I like to feel like he's got that indomitable spirit that, uh, that, that I always tried to represent as well. I think I got one goes and Dan. Um, there's some similarities not from the look and fashion side, because like I told you earlier, you have a cool swag to you, you know, back in the day, whether it was the Mohawk, uh, your look or whatever, but you were never really like, you know, a lot of Brits that come off that like, like a Lee Murray back in the day or a Michael Bisping get in your face. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you don't back down from anyone, but it was this comp, Subtle, confident swag. You know who's got that? It's Tom Aspinall. Every once in a while, you put a mic in front of him, and at the right time, he'll kind of say, oh, we, you know, we can have a go if you'd like. But then he kind of laughs it off or whatever. So he, just enough to tell you, I'm an ass whooper, you know, uh, in case anyone forgot that. But at the same time, he has a pleasant conversation and a, and a great vocabulary like yourself. Um, I think we just need to maybe – you you probably have the contacts in London, right? Send them to some somebody to get them some cool spectacles like you. You know what I mean, and, and a l- little bit of fashion. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't beat me up for that one. But you know what I'm talking about. You know that that's that's a huge compliment for me. I'm I'm a big fan of Tom Aspinall. He's a he's a a very very dangerous individual. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I agree, carry, carries himself with that kind of quiet confidence. You know, he's got mm-hmm. a a real presence, but it's not at all forced. He actually reminds me a lot of Frank Mir, you know, back in the day, yeah. not only the way that he looks, but like when Frank Mir walks into a room, people are like, okay, well, that guy, it, w- whether he's armed or not, which he probably is, <laughs> yeah. whether he's armed or not, he's a very dangerous individual, but I don't feel threatened by him, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's like, there's something quite comforting about the presence as well. I spent a lot of time training with Frank Mir and, you know, he was a, it was a really good, good training partner, sparring partner and a friend. And, and uh, you know, Tom Aspinall's got that same kind of energy about him. So, uh, yeah, no, I take that as a compliment. I, I I was probably a little bit more punk rock than Tom. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's that's maybe something Tom can work on once he's uh, once he's got the heavyweight <laughs> strap. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, listen, let's do one more fight. And since we still have about three weeks, folks, before this epic event, PFL 10, 
the world championships. We'll see if we can get Dan on and cover the other three fights and whatever else is left. But I think you may have teased Braga versus Pineda. Is that one of the ones you're looking forward to the most, if not the most? Because you were talking about the heavyweights, but you were uh, citing some examples from these other two guys and what they've been able to do. But tell us a little bit more about this one. Is this the the show stealer, maybe? That is, honestly, I think it is. Yeah, that's the one I'm I'm most excited about. Just because, I mean, the, both of these kids have come in, you know, with with you know, a, a real intensity about them, and they've just proven themselves to be top flight competitors. That you know, they they are they are two of the best in the world right now, and and I think they're going to prove that in this uh, in this championship bout, like. Uh, especially because we've already got a fight between them, right? It was a three-round fight. You saw Braga smash Pinedo's lead leg. You know he really started to destabilize his base, and then there was a turning point. I don't know. I don't know exactly when it was. You know, halfway through the second round, where you just kind of started to see Pinedo go, no, not today, <laughs> and he just started to sprint at him with with like ferocious punching combinations and knees up the center line. And and you know I think both of them left that fight thinking to themselves I could have done a little bit more and I could have made this a far clearer victory for myself. And then you've got to take into account this has got an extra ten minutes on the end of it. We've got championship rounds. Yeah. I think these two are going to take absolute chunks out of one another. I think they're going to be smiling while they do it, and I think that the fans are going to be on their feet by the time the fight's over. You know I'm in actually in Peru right now. If I was in Lima, I'd try and visit the gym. If Pineda was still there, but I'm just so impressed over the way he conducts himself. Like he just walks you down, but in a real menacing way. Has anyone ever done that to you where it mind fucked you for maybe just a minute or two until you could figure out what was happening? Cause at, at times he almost, you ever see Terminator two when that guy just <laughs> wouldn't go away, the T 1000, it's like, what do we do? Like, how do we figure this thing out? Yeah, no, I I can't think of an opponent that was like that, but but usually the bad dreams going into fight week felt a lot like that. You know, mm. <laughs> where you've got somebody just walking forward and you're hitting them with everything that you've got, and they just they just keep walking forward. He's got that same kind of intensity, um, and and I feel like you know, unless Braga is able to maintain some space between him and establish that nice steady striking pace, he might find himself being walked down for the best part of twenty five minutes. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of both of them. It's a shame one of them has to lose uh, in the championship bout, but I expect them to circle it back and we'll have a good rivalry between these two guys going into 2024. Can't wait for it. Can't wait for PFL 10, folks. It's the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. You got to get this pay-per-view, six title fights and a lot of key fights that you can watch on the prelims early on, including uh, Derek Brunson coming over from the UFC, fighting Ray Cooper III, a former champion. That should be a pretty... Pretty great fight to get the night started. Dan, thanks so much for staying up past midnight to do this interview. And again, if we can get with you again and maybe do a part two and shore up some of the other fights, that'd be great. Sounds good. Anytime, guys. Always a pleasure talking to you. You too, sir. Take care. Thank you. All right. Thank you to Dan Hardy. I'm not sure we'll be able to catch up with him a second time, but at least we got some fights out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not before uh, the card, but, you know, I had thought, Dan Hardy would be great for spinning back click. I'd like to get him on there one day. I agree. He was looking all cool, too, with his shades. Didn't look like we were interviewing somebody that was getting ready to go in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Something like that. Yeah, he had this, this like Austin Powers brother vibe or something. Yeah. I can see goes. You guys can hear him, but I can see him. Why have you been giggling for, like, the last two minutes? Um, 
so my job while we're doing the show is to kind of take notes of uh, what it is we're doing. And at the end, I turn in something. But a thing, you know, notifications pop up. And on one of them, there was just like the first thing I saw when I looked was some kid on a bed. <laughs> he was being shaken like violently, dude. Like think the exorcist. Mm-hmm. But I guess it was like a morning alarm clock that's set into his bed. But I just couldn't believe <laughs> I'll send it to you. But I mean, come on, people. What are you doing? Like, you're going to kill this kid. A practical joke? Yeah, it's got to be. That's why you were shaking? Yeah. But like his, his bed was just like like this. Try, try being on top of that. And he was asleep. I thought he was experiencing an earthquake, right? Yeah, but like looking at it from the corner of my eyes, I couldn't believe what I had just saw. So then I, when I went back to look at it, like what the hell was that actually going on? I, I figured it out, but it just looked really weird from my peripheral vision. By the way, we got time for something real quick. Yeah. Uh, non-MMA stuff. Just shout out to everybody. Thoughts and prayers and everything that you guys have uh, said, whether it's on social media or personally gotten a lot of phone calls a lot of texts a lot of social media uh obviously our mother underwent surgery over the weekend and uh or sorry monday and everything came out positive but it's a long road to recovery and we do appreciate everything that you guys have said and um you know there's there's good days and bad and when you see comments like that it lifts you up so thank you to everybody who did that yes i echo what go said we read them all. We saw them all. It's not impossible, but we'll try to get back at everyone. But I at least just know that we've been seeing and hearing and uh, from many of you across all the different platforms, and it means a lot to us. She's doing better, but, yes, now is the rehab and physical therapy portion of it. So um, thank you, everybody. All right, goes. Um, I'll get to some news in just a second, but I wanted to ask you. You and I never really had a chance to talk about our top thirty greatest fighters in UFC history. We had a spinning back click dedicated to it about well last week, late last week, and we all kind of jumped in there and you know discussed it. Did you have a chance to, I guess? rethink anything do you stand by it did anyone make any good points where you're like well you know if i were to redo it again i'd i'd shuffle a name uh, a, a name or two or or do you stand by your work i actually really like mine um the only problem is i just felt like when you think about peds and all that you have i, th- I think the whole staff what we should have maybe talked about is either have a stance on it or don't but I don't think that some of us are allowed to and some of us aren't because it really does kind of change the dynamic of, of the results. Mm. And so I wish we would have maybe done that at the beginning and just said, look, are we going to look at it that way or are we not? Um, I have always had that stance that it is a big deal. But in the sense of a list like this, I feel like it had to be put aside. Um and I did that, but uh, because I think that's kind of what ended up making George St. Pierre number one and John Jones number two. So there's that. There's also the 
how we handle Hoist Gracie, right? Like, I think one person didn't even have him on the list. Uh, a lot of people had him really far on the list. And you know me, I've been one of those guys that for the longest time has said, look, let's just call him a pioneer and we'll we'll deal with everybody else. So that maybe seeing other people have kind of a similar take. I wish I would have maybe done that and and brought somebody else on the list or something. There's a few here and there, but uh, overall, I, I felt pretty decent about my list. How'd you feel about yours? Well, Charles Oliveira not making it in after beating Dustin Poirier and Dustin Poirier being in. And I don't mean to throw shade at Dustin Poirier. I'm just pointing out what 31 and 30 was like. I feel like we should have had a voting process, but also once the work was presented, maybe a committee or we all just look at it and go, hey, this is dumb. Let's just flip-flop these two. Mm -hmm. Obviously, something was not handled right or whatever, but that one was a little glaring because, again, they recently fought and Oliveira finished them. Oliveira also is an undisputed champion, whereas Poirier was an interim champion. And so that's kind of two big deals, you know what I mean? And for them to finish one guy in and the other guy not, eh. Hoist. It's interesting because it took a Canadian to point out something that I felt. We didn't say a, a modern era list. We basically said all 30 years. Right. And I tried to compartmentalize what was significant back then to 10 years ago to 20 years ago and to what's in the current landscape and just throw it in there. All I can say is this about Hoist. Hoist, it feels like Hoist, I feel is like uh, George Washington. If you look at Mount Rushmore, unless I got it wrong, it's George Washington, Abe Lincoln, and was it Teddy Roosevelt and. Fuck, I don't even know who the last one is. I'll look it up right now. Anyway, to me, it just seems like George Washington was there because he was our first president. He was a general, part of that Revolutionary War, war right? Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's almost like, how can we not include him? You know, I, I, I don't know if someone took a poll of who are the greatest presidents ever. And so they go, wow, turns out he was a great one. I think he was more there because he was the first one. But who knows? And, and I feel like Hoist is that. And, yeah, look, he did it at a time when, you know, not everyone knew jiu-jitsu. Well, that's not his fault. He proved what he set out to prove, and that was who was the greatest fighter at the time. What style was the best style? And he did it a few times. He, he won three tournaments. So And to do it multiple times in one night, you know, and anyone that says, well, that was back then, well, why didn't anyone else do that? No one else won multiple tournaments like that, except for, I think, Severn and Fry. They won tournaments and then ultimate ultimates, but they didn't do three. Still impressive to do two, but they didn't do three, and they were big dudes. You know, whereas Hoist was a skinny Brazilian, 170 pounds, no weight limits, nothing. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I still hold a special place in my heart for that dude. And so here we go. It's Thomas Jefferson. Um, George Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, and Abe Lincoln. Lincoln, obviously, because of the Civil War, and that was pretty significant. Why Jefferson's in there? You know, I'm not sure. He drafted the Constitution, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe that was his role. 
Teddy Roosevelt probably oversaw us around the time of World War One. I, I think who knows, but um, anyway, I I was happy with my placings. I had more veterans than others, I think. So I had like Arlovsky and Belfort towards the end. Severn, not too many people included Severn, but mm-hmm. like I said, I was just kind of wild with what those guys were doing back in the day, and then I tried to apply the same to what I saw now. But it wasn't like, oh, he's old school, old school all the way. No, I mean, I had younger guys like, you know, uh, Cejudo and Volkanovsky you know, ahead of like the Liddells or whatever, because a lot of it was based off your your titles and your title defenses. My my major beef didn't really have to do with uh, what you brought up in the sense of, um, you know, the guys that Hoist had to face. It was more the conditions under which he did it. There were no rounds. There were no gloves. There were hardly any rules. To me, that is just, that's not what everybody else is going through. So to me, it was, that's NHB, you know, and this is mostly brought up uh, MMA. Now, if you've already made the stance that you got to include them, then you need to include them high. You do, because that that's what he deserves, right? But uh, I just felt like we should have just maybe said, hey, man, we're going to give him a, a particular spot as a pioneer, then almost like Jesus just sitting up there, you know, and then work our way down. Because what these guys have done has been under different circumstances, weight classes, all kinds of stuff, right? It's hard to compare them. So that was doesn't that make it easier to face someone in your weight class? Well, look, the only fight that he had to do with a round with rounds was Ken Shamrock. And that was a draw, you know? And if anything, if there were judges, they probably would have gave it to Shamrock because remember Hoist's eye was completely shut. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it seemed like anything on Hoist's resume that re- resembled what we do today didn't go well for him. You know, uh, uh, even Matt Hughes, right? That's, that's the closest you can get to what we're doing today. That didn't go well from pride. Like, okay, now you got to wear gloves. Um, they did have a extended time limit, but that didn't go well for him either. So like, it's just, uh, I just wish he had a different spot. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, just to finish up with some news here, Sean Strickland says, Sadabusi, best striker I've ever sparred. You've seen him at the gym. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, I think of some of the monsters that Sean Strickland's gone up against because he's not afraid to fight uh, or to spar with bigger guys. You have guys like Fabricio Verdum, right, back when he was at Kings, Dan Henderson, uh, Francis Ngannou was a heavyweight that's there. You know, like, I think maybe he's given his buddy a little bit of uh, clout. And I think that's a cool thing. You know, we're not always talking about the cool thing Sean Strickland does. I think that's one. Uh, what I will say is, C is very tactical. You know, he's very pinpoint with everything he does. So I don't think he's crazy in saying that. I think that's what he meant, too. He's just more of a clinical striker. And mm-hmm. I think a sparring partner not only has to be talented, but has to push you without hurting you. So maybe there's talent in that itself i mean how many times have we heard about a guy like hector lombard who will light you up <laughs> you know what i mean that's not what that's not what the intention might have been 
when you went in there this far. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a pretty nice compliment. And dude, I've seen Sadabusi train and he really does look like I remember I used to say this about Uriah Hall too. I used to say, wow, they, they can almost charge admission for a few of these guys when they're in there. Manel Cop, same thing. Some of these guys are really, really slick, and I can see how they make their guys better, their teammates. And hopefully they receive a little bit of the same from guys like Sean Strickland and everyone else that's that's there. But I know. I think it was refreshing to finally talk about something Sean Strickland said where he's like you said, he's not being disparaging or I find him funny, but I can see why he's not the most popular guy. Um I'm not as sensitive, I guess, as fans and media. He is definitely inappropriate. He's a world champ. You'd think he'd temper it down, but then maybe that's just him, man. That's that's the unique thing about our fighting game is um what makes you popular sometimes isn't even your skills. It's just how you conduct yourself. I mean, the the Diaz brothers are a perfect example of this. A, a Tank Abbott back in the day, you know, where you're just like, wow. I mean, these aren't the guys you want your sister dating, you know, and <laughs> oh, no. and yet they uh, they sell tickets. Um, Jan Vlahovic, he says, this time when I fight Rakic, which is scheduled for January, he's going to finish him. Remember, they fought, and in the third round, it was 1-1. Rakic blew out his knee. We're going on two years since Rakic has been back. But he's supposed to come back against Vlahovic. And Vlahovic is saying, uh, all right, cool. Let's run it back. But it ain't going to go good for him. I'm going to smoke him. This is UFC 297 in Toronto. Vlahovic is 40 years old, former champ. But let me tell you something goes, and I think you'll agree. I'd find it hard to believe if you didn't. When he was in our studio... All I could think of was, bro, if you were 10 years younger, he has a little bit of that it fact. I found him so charming yeah. and funny, and he's a tough guy and all that. And uh, He speaks just good enough English. I, like when I read articles and then they attribute quotes to him, I feel like he's still sitting next to us in the studio. He was really, really a cool dude. Yeah, he was funny. He uh, he was very charismatic. I think sometimes Stipe Miocic can be that way too. He just not he's just not around enough, but uh, but yeah, I, I noticed that about Jan too. He was a lot of fun. Yeah, I wish him the best. That's a great fight, by the way. Um, Rakic against Blahovich. You know, you want to talk about what's next for Fajeda? Well, I think Jamal Hill's fair for sure, mm-hmm. but unless there's something crazy where he goes down to fight Izzy for the third time in MMA, fifth time altogether, or Izzy gets a path to him you know he, he tried it once came up short against Vlahovic but let's say he wants to go up again and it just sells and they know I can't get away from it I gotta imagine that the winner of this is probably in in a good position so is Magomed Ankalaev but you know he's got that the no contest from Abu Dhabi and the draw I believe last year or something like that against Vlahovic so I, I thought he's pretty much a beast himself, but he hasn't been able to just get past that final hurdle. I'm talking about Magomed Ankalaev, but anyway, Don Davis, he said something interesting. He said, and everyone knows Dana well enough that when he dismisses things, it's because he doesn't feel the threat. Once he starts smashing people in public, when he does media, that means there's a threat, right? Do you think Dana White 
is in any way threatened by the new acquisition of Bellator by PFL, and is Don Davis onto something? That's their one of their founders. He's an executive there with PFL. Yes, and yes, and also no. What I think Dana White th- is threatened by the most are I think he believes and knows that they may not be around for very long. Who? Because PFL, because oh. they are spending a lot of money, right? Um, but that time that they are around, I think fighters are just kind of why not go make a million dollars over here? Why not collect $2 million to fight Francis Ngannou? It's giving them a little bit more of a leg to stand on that they didn't have before. And I think that's the part that bothers the UFC a little bit. Not so much that, oh my God, these guys are going to have the best middleweight in the world, the best lightweight in the world. I I don't think that bothers them. I think they know they'll always be number one and they probably will. But, uh, I do think the attention that that brings and fighters coming over and kind of saying goodbye to the UFC, I think that kind of hurts a little bit. It's the PFL has done that to them a little bit. And so has, you know, some of these, these boxing outfits that have come around that could steal a Nate Diaz and do something like that. Uh, You wouldn't have heard of that before. Yeah. I, I just think that the UFC is like the NFL. And everyone else is either NFL Europe, USFL, XFL, arena football. And frankly, has anyone given a shit about any of them? If you're a football fan, you either like the NFL and then you're all about college, right? I've been to one arena football game and it wasn't the end of the world. All right. I, if those athletes have a paycheck to collect, cool. I've been to one. It was all right. But, you know. When you think of fantasy football, you think of gambling, you know, nobody's in the sportsbook saying, hey, switch it to the NFL Europe game or the XFL. Like, they, people just don't get as excited about that. And the UFC has that. Now, what I will say is at one point, Doug Flutie, Herschel Walker, Steve Young, Warren Moon, many players played for the Uf- USFL who wound up in the NFL and had great careers and are Hall of Famers and world champions. Those are just five I could think of right off the top. Um, But, and and that's what PFL does have. They have fighters that could compete in the UFC. It's just what people's perception is, I guess is what I'm saying. That's the part that they got to figure out uh, how they're going to do it. I mean, I don't know, man, but they need stars. um, And Ganu's nice. They, they, I don't know, girls. They just, they just need to. They need to get to these big fights, Kayla versus Cyborg, you know, and Ghana versus Vader or whatever. They, they just need to get to it as, as quickly as people can possibly connect dots. I look at it this way. I think the UFC is the Premier League, soccer, right? Football, whatever you want to call it. I think PFL is like a Spanish division where every once in a while, uh, Real and Barcelona or Atletico are going to play. But when they're not playing each other, you're kind of like, oh, all right, you know, it's not bad, but every now and again, though, they are going to give you a barn burner. I think for me, that's what it's kind of like a little bit. Yeah. They just don't have the depth. 
why he keeps throwing out that thing about 30% of that roster is ranked in the top 25 of the five matrix rank rankings. I'm not saying this as someone who's jealous because we do our rankings and we're independent in terms of ranking on championship belt or PFL. But I can tell you that number is not 30%, not at least not with ours. And I'll put ours against anybody's, including fight matrix. It's it's just not an accurate number. So I would say the UFC, well, you know, by, by next show, I'll, I'll actually compute it. But when I rank them, we rank 15 top fighters and three honorable mentions. And I would say that 90 to 95% of those fighters are UFC. They're, you're just fighting the best people more consistently. So you feed me more data that makes me want to rank you. We just recently had a discussion with Patchy Mix. and. Sean O'Malley, their resumes are pretty comparable, but O'Malley to win the title had to knock out Algerman Sterling, a clear number one for everybody the last two years. And before that, Peter Jan was a beast, right? He got past both of them. Now, one was a split decision versus Jan. Some still argued that Jan won. Mix left no doubt. He smashed a lot of people. The only problem was they just weren't ranked, but they were people that hardcore fans like you and I, you know, we respect. We respect Stotts. We respect Pettis. We respect uh, you know, his other opponents. I think Kyoji Kyoji Horiguchi was, was one of them as well. But if there's just something about that road through the UFC is brutal. So picks oh sorry, Mix made it to number four. Goes if you're curious on this week's rankings, but I we couldn't get him to number one. Okay. Well, it's close. I get it. Yeah. Let's get on out of here. Um, I want everybody to have a happy Thanksgiving and you know, you're going to be with your loved ones, right? So tell them you're thankful for the relationship you have with them, whether it's a relative or a friend. You know, these are some really divisive times, and this is a great time to just take out a board game or play some cards or watch some football together, you know, smash some food. Uh, um, get get to and from safe, please. Uh, so it's not up to you if you're on a train or on a plane. I get that. But when you're on the road, just be cognizant. Um, holidays are stressful times. And wear a smile on your face is all I can say. We're thankful for you guys for listening and tuning in twice a week for the last 17 years. Some of you almost pretty much every show. And I don't know how it goes. Goes, you have any final words before we get out? No, I just echo that sentiment. You know, uh, the holidays are coming. And... uh Now's a good chance to reconnect with everyone and don't take things so serious, man. Just just chill, eat, talk to people, stay off your phone, just connect. Great advice. All right. With that, we're out of here. Go out and be a champion. Take care, everybody. <laughs>